Our sermon this morning comes from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Happy New Year! The end of one year and the beginning of another seems to be the perfect time for renewal. We reflect on what's not working, what is working, and if anything new might add value to our lives. We want to form positive habits for the new year and improve ourselves. Sometimes we go overboard. My uh, New Year's resolution for 2023 is to journal more. Uh, I like using journals that offer prompts, and I knew I had several journals like that. So last week, I went over to my bookshelf, and um, I picked out a few uh, that I thought I'd want to use in this coming year. Can you guess how many journals I picked out? Well, not that many. Six. I had uh, six journals I picked out with with different prompts. One for, uh, you know, fitness. One for relationships. One for other goals that I have. Uh, I told myself I wanted to start the new year to start uh, journaling more with the help of six different journals. That's a little ridiculous. Uh, now I've narrowed it down to two. One I was already using and another that I'm coming back to. But I think this is a great example of how our New Year's resolutions can be um, a bit more overzealous than we're maybe capable of following through on. The Katie who was getting ready for 2023 uh, while she was away from her work and family obligations all last week is not the same Katie who would be stressing to fill out all six journals in three months or six months or next December. Each new year, a lot of us make resolutions. We might resolve to journal more or exercise more or wake up earlier so we can get more done. More often than not, if our goals aren't specific, measurable, attainable, and realistic within a certain time frame, we leave that resolve somewhere in January or February. Maybe alongside or instead of resolutions, you follow other, you follow other traditions at the start of a new year. 
Some people like to eat black-eyed peas, or they'll eat 12 grapes at midnight. They watch the ball drop and fireworks light up the sky, or they clean the whole house. We celebrate with rituals both joyful and meaningful. Rituals to prepare for a new year have been around for quite some time. In the Old Testament, the Israelites renewed their covenant with God annually. In Exodus 40, God ordered Moses to set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation on the first day of the first month. In forming a covenant, God partners with Israel so that God's love can be extended to others in the world. And in this ritual of setting up the tabernacle on the first day of the year, the Israelites renew that covenant. Renewing their covenant with God was a reminder that they were in a relationship with the God who created them, loves them, and makes all things new. In our passage from Jeremiah today, the Lord says there will be a new covenant. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Humanity is faithful. God is faithful even when humanity is not, even when our resolve gets left somewhere in January or February. The Bible Project describes God's covenant with Israel as God asking them to obey a set of laws. God gives them guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. If they do this, God promises to bless them and use them to represent God to the rest of humanity. Unfortunately, the Israelites were human like us, and they broke that covenant with God. They worshipped other gods. They allowed horrible injustice. But God did not abandon them. Even when they wandered in the wilderness... Even when God was silent, even when they were in exile. After a long time, God redeems Israel through a brand new covenant. American radio broadcaster Paul Harvey once told a modern parable about a religious skeptic who worked as a farmer. One raw winter night, the man heard an irregular thumping sound against the kitchen storm door. He went to the window and watched as some tiny, hovering, shivering sparrows who seemed attracted to the warmth inside the house were beating against the vein of, were beating against his door in vain. The farmer was touched. He bundled up in his coat and his mittens and he trudges through fresh snow to open his barn doors for these birds. He turned on the lights and tossed some hay into a corner. But the sparrows had scattered in all directions when the man came out of his house. They were hiding in the darkness, afraid. Now, this man tried various tactics to get the uh, birds into the barn. He laid down a trail of cracker crumbs to direct them. He tried circling behind the birds to drive them towards the barn. Nothing was working. He, a huge alien creature, had terrified them. The birds couldn't understand that he was only trying to help. The farmer withdrew to his house and watched the sparrows through the window. As he stared, a thought hit him like a bolt of lightning. 
If only I could be a bird, if I could be one of them for just a little while, they wouldn't be afraid of me. I could show them the way to warmth and safety. And in that same moment, the man understood why Jesus came. God becomes a human and keeps the covenant we could not. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, God forms a new covenant with all who believe. His death and resurrection guarantee God's ultimate victory over sin and evil and make it possible for each of us to share in that victory as well. Jesus extends God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the world. He not only keeps the covenant, he teaches his followers how to be more loving and faithful to God, how we should have been all along. Each of the Gospels tells the story of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River by his brother John, his cousin John. I got some typos in my mouth today. <laughs> it's right on here. <laughs> by his cousin John. When Jesus comes to John to receive baptism, he was showing that even though he was without sin, he was voluntarily sharing in the burden of human sinfulness. Jesus steps into that water and is baptized like so many others. But this time, the heavens open, the sun shines down on Jesus, and the Holy Spirit lands on him like a dove. God tells Jesus, you are my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. When we are baptized, we make our own covenant with God. We're able to accept the gift of God's grace no matter who we are or where we have been. We are able to die to our sin and be risen to new life. The life-giving message of the gospel is that grace is free for all and in all. The Holy Spirit is already present in and with every person. When we come to the waters of baptism, we trust that God's love for us is so real, every sin has been washed away. Forgiveness and resurrection life establishes us in the world as Jesus' ambassadors. We're given a mission of reconciliation, of making things right, of healing of loving as compassionately as Jesus did. In baptism, we identify ourselves with the people of God, and we join a community's journey towards God. Baptism calls our community, those being baptized and the whole congregation, into a new way of living. People were baptized before Jesus, but theirs was a baptism of water. A Christian baptism is one of water and the Spirit, where we are not only cleansed, we are changed. It begins a lifelong process of responding to the Holy Spirit's urging within our lives. It begins in a river or at the baptismal font, and it doesn't end until we die. Baptism starts our salvation journey. Not one event, but the process of growing in grace and holiness. Faith isn't simply knowing or even believing the teachings of Christianity. It's entrusting our lives to Jesus Christ.
I love this example, so you may have heard it before. In her book on baptism by water and the spirit, the author tells this story about a daredevil who was about to ride a bike across a tightrope. Seeking encouragement, perhaps, he asked the bystanders if they believed he could perform this stunt successfully. Many of these people who are watching cheered loudly and affirmed that, yes, we believe you can do it. The daredevil then uncovered his bicycle and revealed it had a second seat. All right, he said, who among the believers will ride with me? To have faith is to trust and climb aboard with Jesus. It's important to remember that we never need to repeat our baptism because God never fails to maintain God's side of the covenant. However, we should turn from our sin and remember our baptism as often as we can. In all our reminders of our baptism, we are reminding ourselves of our identity as a people who are called by God, gifted by grace, and living in the continued presence of God's Spirit. Both baptism and communion help us understand God and help us experience God. They help us begin to grasp what it means to be loved. The vows we take at baptism are just one powerful way of telling God, do what you want with me. I accept your love and grace for my life, whatever that means, wherever it takes me. John Wesley adapted another way to say, do what you want with me. A prayer we call the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. On New Year's Eve, many Christians gather to read scripture and sing and pray and receive communion. Early Methodists attended such services, setting their intentions to follow God's lead and grow in their faith in the new year. These services were and still are today a renewal of our own covenant with God, the renewal of the new covenant we have through Jesus. The heart of this service, when led by John Wesley or Methodists today, uh, the heart of the service focuses on this covenant prayer. The prayer describes missional life devoted to following Jesus and serving as his representative in the world. It tells us that being a Christian is more about a way of life than a system of beliefs. It describes the Jesus way of self-giving and self-emptying love. In modern language, um, well, Ronnie, do you have a, the slide with it on there? Thanks. Um, in modern language, Wesley's covenant prayer goes like this. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. 
I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. John Wesley expected the people called Methodists to pray this prayer at the beginning of each new year as a way of remembering and renewing their baptismal covenant. This prayer is a practical description of what Jesus was talking about when he said, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Baptism marks the beginning of our life in Christ and his church. A people who want to pursue holiness of heart and life. The covenant prayer helps us remember what this Jesus way of life looks like. And what loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourself requires of us. When we pray this prayer, we remember that we are baptized. Like in our baptism, we again renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sin. We accept the freedom God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, trust wholeheartedly in his grace, and promise to serve him as our Lord, in union with the church. And we renew our promise to live as faithful members of Christ's church and serve as his representatives in the world. What a better way, what better way is there to start a new year? I want to close by slowly praying Wesley's covenant prayer together. In addition to resolving to journal more, or eat certain food for good luck. Let's start the new year together with this ritual. Let's make this covenant of God our own. Ronnie, if you'd throw it back up there, I'd invite all y'all to please pray along with me. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O oh wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Baptism and communion are both means of grace, ways that God gives grace to us 